Scott Elliott spoke with union members and guests at an SDCF symposium event in March of 2003. I'm Susan Stroman, a member of Stage Directors and Choreographers Society, and this is Masters of the Stage. This program is produced and presented by the Stage Directors and Choreographers Foundation in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing. Because this program was not originally intended for broadcast, it is not of the highest technical quality. As a result, portions of the conversation may have been edited. Mark Robinson is, uh, Mark Stephen Robinson, is an SECF observer and one of our best friends and now on our brand new Artists' Action Committee. And he's here tonight because he was uh, one of our observers on, he was an observer of ours on The Women, directed by our other guests. Scott Elliott, I think, is one of the most accomplished, one of the most diverse directors I know of today. So many different styles, and not only that, not so many different styles in theater, but he's also a uh, founding artistic director of the New Group, which is an amazing uh, nonprofit theater company. Uh, did Map of the World, there's film, he's doing another one we were just talking about in the hall. So we are so grateful that he's here tonight to set a keynote for the next two days. Um, I'm directing all these different mediums, directing all these different genres within theater, running his own theater company, being a freelance artist, and still finding time to have a life and join us here tonight. <laughs> so it is with great pleasure and deep gratitude that I introduce you to Scott Elliott and Mark Robbins. Thank you. So uh, let me tell you a little bit about Scott. As an actor-slash-singer-turned-director-slash-artistic-director and producer, Scott Elliott is one of the most sought-after talents in New York. Before turning to directing, Scott attended the Boston Conservatory of Music and worked for several years as an actor, appearing in Guys and Dolls at the Guthrie Theater, on Broadway and on the road in Les Mis, and performing in the Broadway musical Eight Broadway Grand. During his performing days, he earned a degree in film and psychology at New York University. In 1991, he formed a theater company called The New Group, where he began to direct original plays in tiny, out-of-the-way spaces with virtually no money and for no money. In conjunction with this company, he rose rapidly from the fringe theater world of folding chairs and do-it-yourself sets to establish himself as the artistic director of one of the most significant players in the off-Broadway scene. The New Group's landmark productions of Stephen Bill's Curtains and Mike Lee's Ecstasy received popular and critical acclaim and put Scott and his company on the map. Both productions won Obie Awards and resulted in Scott winning the Callaway Award for Excellence in Directing for Ecstasy. Known for artistic excellence, powerful ensemble acting, and fearless exploration, the new group seeks to bring its dynamic work to audiences off-Broadway and beyond. As an independent director, he has staged Broadway revivals of Present Laughter, the Three Sisters, and The Women, both at the Roundabout, where he is an artistic associate. His off-Broadway and regional productions include Kiki and Herb, Coop to Theater, which is currently running at the Cherry Lane, The Monogamist at Playwrights Horizons, The Ride Down Mount Morgan, and The End of the Day, both in Williamstown. At the new group, he has also directed Smelling a Rat, Goose Pimples, Hazelwood Junior High, East is East, Crane's What the Butler Saw, Betwixt, Andrew After Dark, the women of Lockerbie, and comedians. 
His new group producing credits include Avenue Q, which is about to move to Broadway, This Is Our Youth, My Night with Reg, Another American, and Servicemen. In 1999, Scott directed his first film, A Map of the World, and is currently preparing the release of his next film project, Hello Suckers, based on the story of Texas Guinan, a wild turn-of-the-century showgirl who transformed herself into a Broadway star with a lot of coaxing and a little talent. <laughs> the people he has worked with in the past few years reads like a who, who, who's who in American entertainment. Arthur Miller, Frank Langella, David Henry Wong, Peter Hedges, Sigourney Weaver, Julianne Moore, Louise Fletcher, F. Murray Abraham, Sean Mathias, Amy Irving, Calista Flockhart, David Marshall Grant, Eric Stoltz, Billy Crudup, Lily Taylor, Maria <laughs> McClanahan, Fiona Aldridge, and on and on, Jennifer Coolidge, and Isaac Mizrahi. In addition to his OBs, he has received awards from the National Board of Review for Excellence in Independent Filmmaking, a Drama Desk nomination, NYU's Distinguished Alumni Award, and appeared on the cover of Theater Week with the label Director in Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our keynote speaker, Scott Elliott. Let it go. Uh, uh, one of the goals of this symposium is to offer rising artists a chance to draw on the experience of established artists. So it seemed fitting to begin with uh, a paraphrase from Harold Prince, who uh, said at last year's symposium, half the game is having the courage to express yourself and perhaps go, where some, go someplace where you haven't seen yourself go before. I don't think there is much in the world that is new but it could be new to you and new to your audience, depending on what inspires you. So with that in mind, was there a person or event that inspired you to leave performing and direct instead? And who do you continue to draw on for your inspirations? Well, uh, an event that drove me out of performing and directing, I think, was when I was in Wendy's. I like because you know I really truly I wanted to be a singer and a dancer. That's what I studied to do my entire life. And so when I finally got it, I was I was quite young. I was in my early twenties and uh, got this kind of thing. And I thought, wow, here I am on Broadway, you know, la da da. But it didn't uh, it didn't do it for me. I was very very bored and I didn't care for it after a while. And I thought, wow, if this is you know Broadway. And what am I going to do for the rest of my life? So I stepped right off that turntable. Ironically, I went to the closing of that show last week. It's quite a bizarre event to actually see it 15 years later. Um, uh, and, no, and so I really, I wasn't going to become a director. I, wanted, I, I decided I was going to become a psychologist. I went to, uh, I went to NYU to pursue a PhD in psychology. And then I decided that that really wasn't my bag. <laughs> After a while, I was working with them with really heavy drug addicts, and it was just it was not my thing. <laughs> like, for a while, it was all right. But it was good to help the directing, I have to say. It helped me help the learning, you know, working with uh, drug addicts. <laughs> working with actors is not as bad as working with them. So I, I just kind of, uh, you know, decided I was still an artist, but I, I, I knew that I, I, I kind of always wanted to direct. Everybody, I guess, was. Uh, I, I had worked with a lot of different directors in my short acting career. Like, 
pretty good directors and thought that that felt that that was felt comfortable to me like that idea of that felt comfortable to me so I basically started the new group because I knew that uh, like all this what am I going to do say poof I'm a director hire me you know I was like well, I didn't want to go back to school and get like a master's in directing I just didn't feel like doing that you know I wanted to um, not that there's anything wrong with that but at that point in my life I just had had a lot of experience you know I just wanted to kind of do I wanted to create kind of, you know um, so I started the new group actually that's, that's basically what I did I found out about how to do it and I figured out that I had to uh, you know kind of form a business in order to kind of get money the little money that I got at the time and I just you know my friends used to do plays and build sets basically was what it was I, I spent all my money that I had saved you know working as an actor on it and Paid off. How did you uh, how did you go from uh, I can hear myself? How did you go from uh, incorporating yourself in 1991 to getting the rights to do? I guess Curtain was the big the first major no, the first show. Thing that we did that was kind of major for well they, they were all major really. I mean I had a we did a slew of plays before uh, this play Mike Lee's Ecstasy play that, that we did that was kind of our breakout play that got noticed, that got pressed. But I thought we were doing great work up until then. But I never, I, you know, I wasn't, um, I, I wasn't ambitious in the business end. I was ambitious in the creative end. So I had, like, I was doing all of this stuff, but in a sense, spending most of all of my money to live. And I was, you know, going broke and paying my rent on charge cards and just, you know, uh, you know, doing, going that way, you know, with it. Because of the work, I was really enjoying the work. I felt... When I first started directing, I thought, oh, I, I felt expressed. And I was getting encouragement from my friends, you know, my artist friends who I respected, that I actually should continue doing it. If they had said, you know, you stink and these shows are horrible, I probably would have, you know, gone back to NYU and finished my PhD or something. But I was getting encouragement, so I decided to continue to pursue it. And, um, you know, I went broke in the, uh, you know, in, in the pursuit of it. Um, and, uh, and then, uh, you know, I just happened to do this play, and it was before Mike Lee was really known. I mean, he was a little bit known. It's like the year known. before Secrets and Lies came out, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, he was like prepping Secrets and Lies when I was doing it. Mm-hmm. Secrets and Lies, yeah, exactly. And, uh, uh, you know, they kind of came to me with that play. They heard I was doing some plays. You know, I had a little tiny space on 42nd Street on the third floor. It was tiny, you know. Uh, and um, then they, uh, I just did that play, and for some reason, the New York Times came. I didn't, you know, I didn't have a press agent or anything like that. And literally, they came, and I went to bed and woke up the next morning, and I had a completely different life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just one of those weird, fluky things where, you know, I, I mean, it was bizarre. It was just a strange sort of, you know, odd thing. And uh, it was, I was lucky. You know, it was that certain thing. I was just doing my thing. I, I got lucky, but I wasn't uh, going after it at the time. And, Changed my life considerably in many ways, but for the good, and then some things that I, you know, I question. But you know that there is that uh, sort of thing that comes with that sort of level of work, and uh, that's what happens. Did you intend I to follow? Oh, Actually, I see. The guy who wrote curtains was uh, Mike Lee's best friend, <laughs> okay. who uh, uh, who I met through Mike Lee, and he and I he sent me to play curtains, and I, I thought I thought that was cool. So that was just the same sort of thing. So at that point, like. You know, there was a, there was press where there was never that before, and I learned what it was like to actually have sellouts and have a show made because ecstasy ran like a year, mm-hmm. so it was strange to have that actually all of a sudden the organization to have money 
wasn't a lot of money, but it was, you know, it was a whole other sort of thing that I had to get used to and understand how to, you know, fund an organization that all of a sudden had money. It was, it was a big freak out. It was, it was interesting in retrospect, but it was a freak out. Yeah. Did you intend to uh, produce principally new works from the beginning? Or you know, did you sort of happen like that? I started the organization so that it would evolve. You know, I never wanted it to be, oh, we only do this, or we do... And, you know, that, in a sense, has helped and hurt. It's helped the organization creatively, but it's hurt us funding-wise because we don't fit into a niche. We don't, I, you know, I refuse to, to have a theater, a niche theater, like where we only do X, or we only do Y, or we only do this, or we only do that, because to me, the world is just not like that. It changes. That's why I called it the new room. So, so I, I always wanted it to feel new, you know, that I wanted to kind of change with the world. And I refuse to let, um, you know, brand people and foundations and stuff like that dictate to me, you know, and, and as a result, I've lost money as a result of it. But, you know, that's cool of me. But um, uh, I refuse to let that happen. So when, when you, you've got a stack of plays, you and, and Ian Morgan, your associate artistic director, right. What, what draws you to a play? What are you looking for? What are you hoping you know, to it's find? Hard. That's a tough question. I'm in the middle of it right now because I'm trying to plan what to do next year. I don't think it's doing a lot. Okay. You do show by show. You don't do a whole season. No, we do. And ultimately, we have to. We're actually in the middle of We're actually next year going to be taking over our own theater. They're forcing me to stop being a gypsy. I kind of, over the years, have resisted. You know, like, you know, having a marquee or something that's, you know, a space where I always have to do all of the shows and that sort of thing, but I, now I, have, I kind of have to do part of the, I guess, evolution of the thing. Uh, but it's, it's difficult to pick, pick the shows because so many things to pick from, you know, that's, that's always a tough thing, but Ian kind of weeds them out because we get so many a day. It's amazing when you, if any of you ever started theater and you hang out your shingle, how many people send plays, or how many people around the world, or even just in the country, that are playwrights, that get these books that say you're up, you know, you're in theater, we get tons of, tons of plays. And we have people who read them, you know, uh, uh, often we use people from NYU in the, in the playwriting program to help us read the plays. And uh, then eventually Ian will pass things on to me, or I get recommendations from agents or people, other artists that I know, about something that might be right for me. But I never really am attracted to the same thing. And that's also a problem because we can't fit into a niche. Like I just respond to things on an emotional level. If I have an emotional response to something, that's when I know I have to put it in the pile to consider. And then basically you look at your budget and how many, you know, like anything else, how many actors you can hire that year or how many, you know, how many big productions versus small production or how you kind of balance all that sort of stuff out and kind of look through that process. But it, it starts from an emotional response. Like, do, is it, do, I, do I turn the pages? And that's just the beginning. And then you have to put it together. And often it comes out not the way you plan, which is, always, is, is hard and painful. And you have a deep responsibility. You feel a deep responsibility to the writers as an artistic director. Because sometimes you, you put a director and a cast together on a particular play that you love that just doesn't help the play. Sometimes you have the opposite thing where you put together a thing and it just takes it to that other level. But it's you know it, it is a 50-50 sort of thing. It's, it's funny. So for people who are, are developing their new plays and musicals, what what do you feel is necessary in order to further their process? 
prefer that they create a process or they are business process? Well, both. Is it both? Well, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's two totally different things. It's very, very hard to get a production. You know, any, you know, it's just, just very, very hard. It takes a lot of, uh, I guess, persist, you know, artistic persistence and emotional persistence. I think that it's you know it's really really hard to, to get a production. I mean I don't I can't advise anybody. I mean, we just did our first musical. The musicals are so expensive, you know. I, and I was always afraid to take a risk on doing a musical because of the amount of money that it costs, even on the level of the new group, which is like you know it's the, the way low off Broadway sort of. The actors make very little. The directors make very little. You know everybody makes very little. We put all the money in the productions, but Avenue Q. Uh, was so expensive that we had to be partnered with the vineyard. We had to partner with the vineyard and uh, was a very, very expensive uh, show. Once, once again, thank God it paid off. It's going to move to Broadway, and so we're going to get money off of it. But if it if it didn't, we would have had to have kissed a lot of, a lot of money goodbye because you have you lose money on all the productions. And there's, this, the kids, we all lose money. That, that's why they call it not the profit. It's like, you know, well, it's true. They give you all this money. You have to spend it. You know, I mean, there's never enough, but you have to, at the end of the year, you have to have spent all of the money. You have to have done art for all of the money. So. so when you're hiring a director, you as a director hiring a director to direct one of the new group shows, right. what are you looking for? Is there a quality, a type of communication? Well, I first and foremost look for, for nice people. You know, <laughs> people who are just kind of, you know, you know who, who, are, who, are, who are nice and seem, you know, sane. <laughs> so, you know, I've had a couple of coups, and that's never fun. But um, but uh, it is fun to, to work with people who are nice and who are safe. And ultimately, it's about how they respond to the material and how the writer and the uh, author get it off, you know, um, that sort of thing. Like I said, we only do three shows a year. I do one of them, sometimes two of them, you know, and so they're really, I'm not hiring tons of and most of the directors that I've worked with are people I have relationships with, people I've grown up with in the industry, you know, people who I've... Because the, 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 the difficult thing about putting these plays together, and just in this particular world of the theater as it is today, you know, in order to fill the seats in the theater, you need some sort of something that's going to get people in the seats. And it's not very often an unknown writer and an unknown director. And that's the difficult... I mean, for me, like I would love nothing more than to do that all the time because it's fun. To me, I love birthing people. I mean, every year I do something. I take a, you know, I take a risk and try to have an unknown director, or an unknown writer, or both. Usually, one in one a year. But uh, even so, it's difficult often to sell those shows. Like I can never put an unknown writer with an unknown director because then I can't really draw cast. You know what I mean? Because the cast, you know, oh, then I'll need a name in it in order to get people to see. It's just a, it's a terrible, it's, it's, it's really the downside of, of the whole thing is that you actually have to fill the seats. And the, the attitude of, you know, the audiences today are, uh, I want to be, I wanna, I'm paying $50 for a show. I want to see something that's going to wow me, whether it be an actor or some director I've heard or read about or a writer I've read about. It's, the, it's one of the unfortunate things about programming and arts and arts, you know, and kind of discouraging things. About the difference between the challenges you face working with independent producers as opposed to institutional, such as the roundabout or productions produced by the new group? Oh, well, it's totally different because 
when you work, when you take the responsibility of doing the commercial production on Broadway, that isn't that isn't um, you know a roundabout not-for-profit sort of thing. And even then, these days, because everything is so expensive, you're taking an incredible amount of millions of dollars of burden on your work. So you have to, you know, you can't, you have to collaborate with people if you want to do something for millions of dollars because you have to help, you have to make decisions ultimately that are going to help build the, the, the theater scenes. So you have to have an actor in it. But you'll never get the millions of dollars to do it. And if you don't have the millions, it's just a catch-22. If you don't have the millions of dollars, you can't do anything on Broadway because that's what it costs. So it's, it, it's a whole sort of thing. It's, it, it was an education for me, you know, kind of making the move in that direction because, of course, I was trying, I always wanted to hold on to everything. But eventually I realized, you know, even in my, you know, as I grew as a producer and my budgets grew at my own theater, I, I grew to realize that there, it's an incredible responsibility. And then I started thinking about how many, how many um, hundreds of thousands of dollars I was, my theater was just losing or, you know, that I wasn't being, I wasn't producing responsibly for the time, you know? And that you have to look at the world out there and, you know, in a sense, do something with your work that's going to get people to come and see it. And it's very, it's a very, very tricky thing. But in the Broadway situation, um, the roundabout is a very, I have a, you know, a, a creative carte blanche at a place like the roundabout because that's a, that's a not-for-profit theater. And, you know, they don't, they, I mean, obviously you have to make decisions because it's still millions of dollars of putting names in the show so that people are going to come see it. It's going to fill a Broadway theater because you can't afford to do a Broadway show where only you know a quarter of the orchestra is full. It's just a bizarre way it is. But I, I think that in the, in the commercial world, you're dealing with people who are writing their own checks. <laughs> and that's a whole other sort of kind of you know level of producer of people who are going to their friends and telling their friends to write, you know, $100,000 checks. And so you're dealing with a level of producer who's extremely nervous. <laughs> it's a whole other sort of balance, uh, emotional balance of how to work with people who actually have their own money on the line. With the roundabout, it isn't Todd Haynes' own money. It's raised money. It's a not-for-profit theater company. So he, in a sense, is structured the same way as the little new group is structured, except on Broadway. Your first Broadway show was an independent production. Right, that was a commercial production. It was right. quite a leap. Yeah, it was I mean, really eye-opening. Yeah, it truly was. And it was all very fast and furious. Uh, it happened really quickly. And I just, you know, my, the way I look at it is that I got this opportunity, I was looking for fun, you know, it's like either you do or you don't, you know. So I kind of went there. But it was great. It was actually ended up being a very positive experience. But it was a little bit nerve-wracking because I didn't really know what I was stepping into. You know, it was the only experience I had ever had. I had never assisted on Broadway, or I've never, I never was an assistant director. I'd only acted on Broadway, I'd only been on Broadway, but I had never directed or been around a Broadway production except as a performer. So it was a, it was a different kind of experience, kind of eye-opening, and the stress level that was kind of, you know, surrounding the whole thing was very interesting. The producer had a heart attack during the, um, Truly, the producer had a heart attack like after the first preview. I mean, it was a wonderful first preview. Everybody was, was afraid of how positive, but I guess take it. So he had a heart attack. So I was out of without a producer for like the first few. You just kind of have to go with the emotional flow of it. The theater draws a lot of interesting people. <laughs> <laughs> it does. You know, I mean, I'm one of them. But it draws a lot of very interesting people, and you have to kind of you go with it. You absorb, you know, what you get, and you try to 
you know, let everybody in, especially as a director, because you are, in a sense, the captain of the ship. You know, the, the producers look to you for the answers as well, even when you're looking to produce this for Most of your work is in New York has been off-Broadway. Correct. So, what do you feel about the state of off-Broadway now as opposed to when you, when the new really took off? Yeah, you know, it's different now. Well, obviously, everything changed with our work. I mean, that was, you know, as cliche as that sounds, the economy is just sick, you know, it's a very, very different turn, it's different. And to survive, I mean, thank God, the new group had a, um, already had a reputation, otherwise it just probably would have folded. you know, I mean, we were given a lot of help after 9-11, because the production that we had in rehearsals at 9-11 was a complete play with no names in it, I mean, we had, there was a name director involved, but it was a hard sell, and it was, Utterly nerve-wracking to the point where I was like, "Well, you know, do I really need this aggravation?" It really was very aggravating after 9/11. I mean, other than the sense of the world, the, the sense of the world in, in not-for-profit arts, which is like, you know, being enhanced, you know, uh, in, the, in the scheme of, I mean, truly, it's, it, it's, it has its level of importance to work, but at that time, nobody was caring about art. It was not about that. Horrible time. So it was very, very stressful, but. But everything, everything changed then. It was really the economy changed then. I saw a significant turn in just subscribers and people who were wanting to spend money. And you know, we, we had to we had to rethink our our structure of how to fill our houses. Basically, that's when I realized that I had to do, I had to have people in the place that were going to put people in the seats. I knew that I had to, you know, even though we had in the past, but a lot of times our plays didn't have name actors, but made name actors out of people. And so I had to then think, okay, well, if we're going to fill our season, we have to do stuff. Which is one of the reasons I decided to do a musical, because I thought, you know, and especially this particular musical, because so it really did, I, I just found it hilarious and heartwarming. And I thought, well, if I'm going to do it, I might as well do it now, because it seems like the world really needs this sort of entertainment right now. And that's, you know, how I made those decisions. But it was uh, it's very different now. Yeah. Although at the same time we have more money now, like we grow. So it's it, you know, so it's it, it's probably the show it's pretty Hopefully. Thank you. You're welcome. so before or after 9-11, have you seen a trend a, a change in the scripts that are coming your way? I in all honesty, I don't like a lot of the scripts. You know, it's just um, the writing is thin, has grown thinner, I find. You get scripts with like 40 people in them. You know, well, I, don't, I can't even look it up. I don't even look it up because that's you know, it's not producible. Why bother? You know, like I have so much to read. I can't possibly. I can't even. I never can catch up on the reading that I have to do. So, um, you know, I do notice that. You know, I actually feel that a lot of writers. This is this is the writing has been thin lately. I feel like I haven't. I don't know if it's just you know the younger writers that you know we're kind of attracted to or just influenced by different things or. It felt a little bit, felt a little bit thin. Um, you know, I don't really know. I mean, I, I've read a couple of 9/11 plays that now that I was actually considering last year, but now feel dated. You know, it's that sort of thing. It just feels, feels so much has gone on since then. That, you know, in the world. That, but uh, you know, I thought, well, we develop a lot of our things, like our new things. Like we're developing this play that I'm very excited about by this um, Palestinian American woman. Uh, that's about a Palestinian family living in Detroit in right after the first Gulf War, which I think is really fascinating. So I try to kind of keep my finger on the pulse of like kind of the writers who are kind of out there, 
And very rarely do we just kind of pick stuff on piles of scripts. We kind of create a lot of, at least unless it's a revival. I'm going to do Ant Man as well next year. I think that that's a play that feels more more current now than it did when it was written. I don't know if you know that play, but it's a very interesting play by Wallace Shawn. And um, I'm trying to I'm trying to let the, the theater be expressive. You know, like what you know, I'm I'm actually I'm a current person. I try to read the newspapers, keep my head in the world, make decisions based on that. But um, so you were asking about the state of the world. That's how I got off on this tangent. Yeah. But yeah, I think that that's I I haven't really I have to say I haven't been that impressed with plays I've read in the past year or two. I mean, just those kind of piles of plays of the writers who are coming out of the school. I mean, let's. So uh, I want to sort of move into uh, process yeah. and ask you a, a, a process slash economics question. Yeah. You've had the opportunity to work with many stars in the past couple of years. How do you bring a sense of discipline into the rehearsal process with somebody who has limited experience working in the theater? Well, you know, I try to. First of all, I don't like to intimidate anybody about that because they bring their own intimidation level with them. And uh, I enjoy I enjoy working with actors of different experience. It's part of one of the things I really like. I find it challenging. You know, I find it very challenging to work with actors who've never acted, or people, or or actors who are 50 years old and just starting to act. You know, or um, you know, or stars who have a yearning. To grow because their lives are spent in the trailer. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. I mean, it, 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 I mean, every life has drawbacks, and everybody has reasons to grow. And I enjoy the challenge of, of getting performances out. I don't like when people come in with their performances already. You know, where like people who are, you know, I was thinking about, you know, some some. Well, I won't mention any names, but some of the like more celebrated people who are not, you know, who obviously kind of come in and they're like they have their thing already, and they they're they're, they're going to do their thing. And, that's that's what it is. I, I like working with people and shaking it up a little bit. When you go into casting, do you have particular people in mind, or are you? Well, yeah, they happen now. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have particular people in mind, then I just call them up, right? <laughs> you know, and, and, and ask them if they want to, if they want to be in it, uh, or you know, meet them, or ask them to read something. I don't do. I try not to do too many auditions because I know a lot of people. So. I prefer working with people that I know, or that I like, or that I've had good experiences with. And that's part of the uh, part of the joy of growing. If you like to grow with people that you enjoy working with, you know, that's sort of thing you grow. And then you have a fight, and you don't work together, and then you just get back together. It's like mar- it's like marriage. It's like if you have artists, that, like it's like designers or or, or whoever. You know, I have relationships with people that I that I love that are like my family. I enjoy being with them, so when we work together, it's pleasant. So you, you, let's say you've got a new play that you're interested in, and um, you want to meet with a playwright. And just tell us about the courtship. I mean, how many meetings do you have with a play that you're really excited about? I'm very I'm decisive. You know what I mean? And I don't like leading people all. So I don't do a lot of meetings. I do very few meetings. I don't go to readings because I hate reading. So I don't attend readings. I just don't like them. If I do readings, I'll do one for myself, like in my office or something. And because I just find them, I you know when I first started, I got you know I get invited to every reading, and 
then like you know you go to somebody's reading and then the other eight others that you can't hate you. So I just kind of play, but I don't go to readings. That's why I think. Um, <laughs> so I can keep all my friends. But uh, uh, but I don't really do. I you know honestly I have very few meetings with with writers because uh, I'm an artist myself and I spend I like to spend half my time creating. Another half of my time I like, producing stuff. Uh, Ian, who's my associate, you know, wrangles the writers. He does a lot of work with the writers and uh, meeting people. And I think the people like if a play really strikes me, then I'll I'll want to sit down and talk to somebody because then I have really have something to talk about. But unless I really love something, I, I, don't, I don't I don't seek out meeting or important people. Or, and my feeling is, is if you don't want to have your play done here, then don't come. You know, <laughs> I don't. Uh, I don't court people. More like, I really want to be a play than a view play. No, no thank you. There's and a lot of theaters out there. I'm like, I had those of you things in the world. And you got your first process with somebody that you felt good about, but then you found they were too overly protective of their work. Uh, well, first time writers are usually like that. That's usually the thing. And, you know, it's, it's always hard for the first timers. They're like, you know, it's like the first time, I don't know, of anything really scary. You know, uh, their emotions are, you know, I, I try to be forgiven, you know, of, of the kind of stress of a first-time writer. Um, but no, I, I, you know, because it's the same sort of thing. Like, I, I try to, if I'm going to work with a writer, I try to be honest with the writer and say, look, if either you want to do it with me or you don't want to do it with me, and if you want to do it alone, go do it somewhere else, you know? Or, you know, I try to, I try to be very upfront about it and, and prepare people. You know, for the fact that it's a theater is a collaborative art form. You know, a lot of writers act like, oh, that it's all about the writer. But I, personally, I'm a director, and I think it's half about the director. You know, so I like to. Uh, I believe. You know, otherwise, like, what am I there for? What is the director there for? To just kind of serve a play without any sort of point of view or emotional connection to it? That sounds very academic to me, and I don't. I don't work that way. I only work on. I only work on things where I feel like I'm creating it. With somebody, well, you know, so that I feel that I can, you know, I'm there for a reason. Otherwise, I'm just there to kind of be like a academic sort of give it a set and move the people around, you know, vessels for the word sort of thing. Like I hate theater. Like personally, I don't like going to shows like that. So I don't like doing things like that or working through like that. So I try to be very clear that at the new group is collaborative, and you know, the process is, you know, it's a collaborative process, and they don't like it. Speaking of first-time writers, Arthur Miller. Well, of course not. What? What is? I'm, I'm being. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But was he in on the rehearsal process? Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that was a that, that was wonderful. That was a devastating experience for me because I had I was working on a movie and it was going for the that play was going to go to Broadway and I couldn't do it. It was it was because I had because I had already committed to something else and it was, it was a bizarre. Uh, but that was an incredible experience. But I thought that Arthur got mad at me when I put it to it in the, in the schedule that we had, that we made up since. But um, it, it, it was uh, it was incredible. He was there every day. He was one of the easier writers. He was he was very collaborative, very very collaborative. And I was of course at first intimidated, but then like he took on this persona, persona like he was like my grandfather. It was really sweet. It was like a, I don't know. There was a kind of a connection. You know, we're both. I know we had a lot in common, you know, even though we were a lot in, in a lot of in different uh, things. So I felt immediately relaxed, and he was um, 
oh, I don't know, I can remember sitting around the table with the actors and just saying, let's cut this one, let's get rid of this. He's like, sure, sure, whatever. You know, because he, he knew that I had a vision for the thing. He knew I had a vision for the play, and he went with it. So that was really good. I have some good pictures of that. <laughs> and, I, and I really love it. He's a great man. He really, really, really is. And I, I really enjoyed working on something with him that wasn't something like one of his old plays, you know? Because I wasn't really that interested in doing the 8 million revival of, you know, one of the other ones. So it was fun to work on something that I had never read or seen or, you know, had no clue about it. There was no, and it was really bizarre on play. I mean, it was truly a bizarre play. But um, it was, uh, it ended up being rewarding and, and ultimately I didn't see the, the, the one that was on Broadway because I was so jealous that I couldn't put my production on Broadway. But I just, uh, Do you ever go see uh, the productions of plays you originally directed? You know, I don't think I have, actually. No, I don't think so. No. Uh, talk, would you talk a little bit about your early rehearsal process, the improv that you, that you do with the women? Well, I, everyone is different. Every rehearsal process that I do is different. It's not, I mean, the women had like 26 women. You know, it was a whole other sort of rehearsal process. You know, um, uh, yeah, I mean, every play that I do, I, I approach, you know, from a different emotional place. And, and, and sometimes I do a lot of, you know, improvisational stuff, and sometimes I do less. It depends on the you know how I, the vibe that I get from the cast, or how quickly they're growing together, or how quickly you know because every ensemble obviously is different, and it is a it is a sort of thing of growing people together. And I try to be I try to be very very careful about the kind of people that I grow together. But until you actually get them in the room together, you never really know you know how the how it's gonna how it's gonna come together as an ensemble, or the kind of work, or who's gonna need more work, or who's a greedier actor, or who's more generous actor, or who's you know. You get to learn people's tricks and stuff like that, and that's basically how I do it. I try to kind of observe it a little bit at the beginning, get a vibe for how it is, and I, I move in, in, in different directions with everything that I do. Because everything that I do, is, when I when you read that list of the things I've done, I was like, wow, this guy is, you know, he, he, does, he does so many different things. But I, I guess it's just because I I really do pick things that I respond to at that given moment. You know, that I don't I don't overplan sorts of things that I do, but stuff that I have a, you know, some sort of a visceral sort of thing for, uh, so every rehearsal process is different. I mean, in the women, it was particularly <coughs> challenging, interesting, and fun, because, um, you know, with just so many people, it was like a, it was like a sixth grade class, you know, it was like a gigantic <laughs> group of of people in one room, so that was kind of thrilling. And it wasn't a musical, so it wasn't like you know the the chorus was going to learn dances down the hall, and this was but it was everybody in this one room. It was, and it ended up being such a bad. It was a great time. It was a great time. It was so much fun. It was, it was, our first rehearsal was nine ten. So I, after all that work, I was like, oh shit, now I'm never going to get to do the women. I've been like working on it for a year, and it's down to tubes. But then, like a couple of days later, we ended up going into it, and oddly enough. Uh, some sort of psychosis you think happened, and it was kind of what the world wanted at that moment, but it ended up being a very big financial success. Well, actually, I had a question about that. Just take us back just for a second about what went through your mind when you found out what was happening. Because you had, I mean, you had rehearsal, you had rehearsals for women that morning, you were on the phone to your board members. 
for me, it's like I always think like you know people write things on there. I just don't. I don't really read the internet like stuff about the work or chat rooms or anything like that. Um, uh, that seems like the, uh, I mean I, I I appreciate what it does, you know, for the theater community and for the art community that it gives people a voice, and which I think is a really good thing. But it's the same thing like like press. It's like you know you read through a write about you, you read eight hundred different variations on one thing that you do. So you can go from somebody liking it to some loving it and saying it's, you know, the Messiah to somebody saying that it's the worst thing they'd ever seen. And so you, you, you have to kind of as an artist when you go through it, like I've been through it so much, so when you go when you when you go through it for a while, you realize that you have to kind of you know, compartmentalize that part of, of the of of the thing. Otherwise you get wrapped up into it. So I, I don't go on the online and read. I mean, I, I read the newspapers, you know, you know and, and I, I look at sometimes the trade paper, variety or something like that, but mostly don't use the internet as a resource. Although I know that the theater company does, and they get the word out to a lot of the things, and our audience, our younger audience, has increased as a result of it. So I think that's a very positive thing. And I use it for, obviously, you know, to look up actors or that I don't know or... Um, Directors or writers, uh, you know, somebody says, go look at this on the net or something like that. And I, I looked at it and I use it for research, which is great because you, you don't really have to go to the library anymore. It's, it's, that's kind of nice to be able to kind of do your work and have your work and not have to be quiet and play music and that kind of work. I enjoy, I enjoy doing research on the internet for stuff that I can find anything there, pretty much. So, yeah, I think it's, it's, a, it's a good thing. Cuts down the transportation <laughs> Okay. Okay. Q&A. Joe, do you want to bring up the house plan? Yeah, we're going to do that. Hello? And uh, and appreciate what they can bring to it, and that goes 
in, in pre-production as far as design as well. You know, I I, I, pre I only hire or work with people that I admire or feel that I want to get to know or I'm excited about working with. So that's the part. The, that's where the real thing is: is putting together your team of your actors and your designers and letting them also, you know, express themselves. So I, I never pre-walk. I think that when I was an actor, I hated that. <laughs> and I, I truly, I, I hated it. I hated it. <laughs> and I felt like, like, well, why am I, what am I, you know, why am I doing it? Or what am I doing? And, you know, just, I, I didn't enjoy that experience. So I based my own direct, because I never went to directing school, I based my own process on what I liked and didn't like about being an actor. Yes. Work to raise that money, 
you know? And it, so you have to ultimately feel like you're putting it into something that you're passionate about. Like I say, sometimes it works in the minds of the world, and sometimes they don't work. But ultimately, I'm, prou- I'm, I'm always proud of them for some reason, and, uh, and that's how, how, how I make the decisions. As someone with a background in musical theater, do you want to? But I have a real background in life. Yes, you do. Do I want to do musicals? Well, I just did this Kiki and Herb through the theater thing right. that I really loved doing. That was my first musical. And I'm, I'm developing a musical um, uh, uh, at, the, uh, at the Roundabout. I'm going to do uh, a revival. Well, I probably shouldn't say what it is. Yeah, no, eight? Why don't I have a direct eight? No, but I, 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 <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, actually, I'm doing. I'm going to do the Three Penny Opera, oh. and uh, it's being uh, translated and adapted by Wallace Shawn. Wallace Shawn, who also wrote it in Finland, so he's he's translating it from German and doing a new adaptation of it. But I'm not going to do it until 2004, 2005. I'm going to do a workshop of it next year. Like, so that's what I'm, I'm doing because that felt like the right kind of musical. For me personally, I, I like I like it. Uh, I like the story and I like the writing. And I love the songs. We'll see. Hopefully that will. That will. But it's been conditioned and we're working on it. So, right. so I'm doing that, and then uh, and I'm doing this movie musical for those suckers. So that's what combines old music and new old music and new music. Correct. Yes. What's your process for, for preparing a new project? Well, it's always different. Like it's that sort of thing. Like I, you know, every, like I, when, after you do enough of them, you start to let go. That's what I said. You know, you let go, and you kind of say, okay, every one of them is different because every team of people is different. You know, like you have a different writer with a different kind of personality and a different tone of play. You know, the designers. You know, whatever. Uh, so it it all, it all varies. It, it really it really does. I mean, when I personally, emotionally. Like you or you know, privately start preparing something. I, I think about it a lot, but this it's a sort of thing that I, I, because like I say, it's I, I respond to things I can't shake. Sometimes I feel really heartbroken that we don't have the room to do things, or I don't have the personal time to do some things that I really love and have to not do them. But uh, I just you know, I, I spend a lot of my time obsessing <laughs> about, uh, about my work. You know, and that's basically my process. It's, it's one big obsession, crazy, you know, thing. Hang out with you, love to pet the cats. You know, uh, no. Uh, what do I do? I don't know. I just think. About, I think a lot. You know, I just I think I, I think a lot. I think about the work and what I'm trying to say. I think about, you know, why am I? Why do I feel passionate about telling that particular story? You know, because uh, it's all about the story and why. Like I, I often try to figure out like why do I respond to this? You know, what is you know what is what's in me so that then I can bring that into the rehearsal room or bring that into the performances because a lot of times when I read things I relate to them like there's something about it that I relate to that's why I have I guess a response to it because it's something about it that I relate to so I try to figure that out because ultimately that's the story that I'm gonna that is gonna be my point of view of this work. And that has to be, you know, a lot of writers don't believe that, but there has to have a point. There has to be a point of view, and it's the director's job really to kind of help the writer figure that out, you know. Uh, and so I do a lot of that, you know, thinking about the point of view and 
whose story is it? You know, or or you know, because you ultimately have to tell the story through some sort of something, you know. So I, I spend a lot of time thinking you know, reading things if I think something's gonna get me going or you know, research if it's something that I don't know a lot about or Try to, I try to always, well, this is personal, but I, I always try to, uh, you know, relate it to something that's, that's either happened to me or that I have a secret of my own or uh, that's when I think my, when I think that my work is my best work, which is not always everybody's idea of what my best work is or whatever, is when I look at it and I feel almost embarrassed about it. There's something in it that is secret to me, or uh, I'm telling something about myself through something or other. It's like a subtext. Yes. Um, I mean, you've worked with producers who are nervous, very nervous, or not nervous, whatever. Yeah. Um, have you encountered uh, them trying to exert any kind of like um, of their own? Like, like creative pressure. Oh, people know? always do stuff. Well, and how do you deal? With every uh, how do you deal with it? Mm, I don't know. It depends on what it would be. You know, I believe in sometimes you can give a little to get a lot. Sort of thing. You give a little here, and then you get more here. You know, that sort of thing. Because you want to make the people who are writing the checks. It's always nice to have them a little bit happy because then they'll write you know, more checks. But ultimately. Necessary thing, you know, but but often I think when people write some big checks or they feel that sort of responsibility, they try to fixate on things that they can control or that they can change to make it better or to make it, you know, they're not always right. And I deal with it just by, you know, I, I'm, not a, I'm not a hot headed person. I try to, you know, uh, talk to people, you know, respectfully, even if they're not talking to uh, yeah. We're sorry, but this question was inaudible. Well, the truth about the women of Lockerbie was uh, the women of Lockerbie started out with a different director, and I took it over. So it wasn't it wasn't uh, my design. So uh, I mean, I approved it as an artistic director because I understood it emotionally. But had I done the play from the beginning, it wouldn't have been that design. I made do with what I had which was, in a sense, an academic kind of take on a very emotional play. Uh, and the actors were cool about it. You know, they were fine about it. I just kind of made something out of something that I didn't put together, basically. I mean, I cast it. I cast a lot of it, but I didn't, it wasn't my show. I came in in the middle of the rehearsal process when the director had some, some issues, and there was a whole thing with the activity. Uh, and so I had to kind of step in. It was not a pleasant experience, but ultimately it was uh, it was a rewarding experience for me because I never had to do anything like that before. I just kind of go in and make something because I had a responsibility to my theater. Um, so ultimately I wouldn't have done that set. So I, I have a hard time answering that question. The actors were cool on it is all I know. They were fine on it. They felt good about it. They were happy cast. If I was going to do it, like, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that because you know, it, like, because I had, like, when I went in there and I had to do that, it was a very difficult thing to do. It was, like, for me, like, like I was, I couldn't believe I had, I was in a situation. I, I was doing this speaking and everything. I had to push that ahead so I could 
do this. I was in the middle of 80 million things. And um, you went in mid-rehearsal? Mid-rehearsal, like, like, like a few days before they went to the theater. And I began to cancel previews. It was that whole sort of kind of mess. And um, uh, and I, I've been thinking about that lately, now that I've had some distance from it. And I think I would have done something much simpler. And I was thinking, I would, you know, like if I was going to do it, I would have used, um, I would have done something photographic and, and kind of simple and, you know, and, and didn't, you know, and, and looked at the play a little bit more poetically that way. Yeah, like that kind of thing. I mean, I understood what they were doing, which is why I approved the set. I thought it was fascinating to look at. It was such a great work of art, I thought. It was like a uh, Greek amphitheater slash mountains. It was, in, it was an interesting idea, but ultimately difficult and, in my opinion, not the best design complaint, even though that's the designer I work with all the time, Derek complaint, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't directing it, as I said, at the beginning, and I thought that they had a thing that they were going to be doing, ultimately. It, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've read a number of times that you've been a director who's been called a director who has moxies. Moxies. And I was wondering if you could tell us about how the curtain call for the women came about. <laughs> oh, that was so bizarrely controversial. It was so cute. Um, <laughs> you didn't see the show. <laughs> but the, can I tell you? Yeah, 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 sure. The, the curtain call was performed uh, with a, a, a white backdrop, pretty much a bare stage, the entire cast dressed in lingerie designed by Isaac and Johnny. And it's lingerie, Right, and, and bubbles in the back. <laughs> I just thought it was fun, you know, like to me I thought like uh, they were such fabulous looking women and it would be great to see them in their underwear. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that. I thought it would be fun. And it was kind of a you know like like it, there was a kind of well, I mean I just found that the, that curtain call like one of those things. But it was funny. But sometimes you know like they, they say things about me that really aren't, like they make me into this thing where I'm really controversial, when I'm really not, you know, they, they make this whole certain thing about you, but I guess that's what keeps, you know, people interested, but um, I just kind of did it for a fun thing, I thought it would be, uh, it would be great for Isaac to have the opportunity to design period underwear, the women were gay, they weren't, you know, fighting it in any way, they enjoyed it, and so it was one of those things that, uh, that I thought would be a kind of fun, frothy way to end a fun, frothy, fun, frothy. And so uh, I didn't. I really wasn't doing it to shock. I, I honestly thought it was cute. I didn't think people were going to be shocked by it. But some people were actually shocked by it. I mean, I've done plays with stuff in it that I think it would be shocked by. But this was not me in any way shocking. I just I was surprised at the, uh, at the kind of how people were like stunned by it, or, or how people responded to the fact that some women wore sticks, you know, and that they were actually women out there in their underwear who had bodies. You know what I mean? And I thought, wow, how old-fashioned. And most of the people who had issues with that were women. So it was kind of interesting to me to kind of hear that kind of point of view on it, people telling me that, oh, how could you do that to those women? I was, I was like, hello, why? You know, like, they go to the beach. You know what I mean? They're not, they go, you know, they, you know, they, you know nobody, nobody said no. Yeah. If somebody had said, I really don't want to do this, I wouldn't have worked anyway. Wasn't like I had. To, I think if I would have said that to a it would have I should have tried that next time. That'll be the next women revival. In like 20 years, I'll do it again. I think the audience members. Yeah, the audience members being shocked is part of the fun. Uh, yeah. Right. It's a little more of your Well-known actor. Yeah. 
you have to do both, in a sense, because the agents get mad if you don't include them. So you want to include, I always include the agents. If I have a relationship with the actor already, or I know the actor, then I'll always call them directly and call the agents. Like I tell the agent I'm calling you directly. Oh yeah, always. <laughs> well, especially, well, maybe not on Broadway, although sometimes on Broadway, but certainly at the new group. I mean, the agent doesn't want, you know, you know, the client who makes money to make $300 a week for three months. But I try to explain to all the agents that it's good for them. And it's good for the agents to not make money. But it's, uh, they don't believe me, but I do tell them. But, uh, but no, it's, it is, it, I think that, yeah, it, it is, it's a pain in the neck, you know, sometimes to have to deal with the agents, because ultimately what they really want is money. Even though they kind of say it's about career or whatever or stuff like that, it really ultimately well, I think boils down to a check and you know their their agency because that's their livelihood and their so I, I keep it in that perspective. Um, but I always do I do both. You know, and it depends if I know the agent and I think the agent's a jerk, then I just only can call the agent or just call the actor and say, I think your agent's a jerk. You know, if I'm not calling them. But I you know that's you have to be honest with you with people. And I, I refuse to deal with, you know, uh, people on the telephone. Who are going to be yelling or something like that? That's just not. It's not a way to live your life. The new group. Are you doing the poem pretty much? Are you? Are you oh yeah. I do the poem. Yeah, on that on the talent level. Yeah. Or the you know I'm a casting director who calls the agent sometimes for me or whatever. I don't call the agent. But if it's a if it's a well known actor, often I'll call the agent directly. Or I know I know a lot of the I know all of the agents, so I just call them up and tell them. And if I don't know them, then I'll call the agent up and I'll say, look, I really want so-and-so to read this, you know, I'm begging you, I do all sorts of methods. But you're dealing, sometimes you, sometimes I realize at the end of the day that I, I spend an entire day dealing with people who are mad. You know, because there's a lot of mad people around, you know, like, who are just, you know, moving. So I try to, you know, keep that in perspective also, that, you know, I have to accept people for who they are. And, if somebody's going to be screaming at me on the other end of the phone because I want some actor to read a script, then you don't have to accept that they're going to be screaming at me. I don't know. Yeah? Um, speaking of celebrities, I'm from LA. Oh, yeah. And, um, I'm sorry, I can't see back there because his light is so bright. Can you lower it a little bit? Or, or no, never mind. It's going to hurt your head. In all honesty, um, unless it's something like I'm, I'm understanding if it's something fabulous, you know what I mean. If somebody's in a play at the new group and they get a lead in the movie that's going to make them a lot of money, then I'll figure out a way to kind of replace them. I'm not a jerk, but I don't approve of that whole scene. You know, getting you know, skipping a play for an episodic or something like that. You know, it's just you, know, you have to be very careful. And yet, in LA, people are doing most people. That doesn't happen as much in New York as it does in LA because. In LA, people are doing theater to get ahead more than they're doing it for the actual work. I think there's a little bit more of that, and it, it reflects on people who reside in New York. I think also there's a little bit more of a commitment to a different lifestyle. It's different, you know. But I, I think that's that's uh, that's insane that LA that it, it just it, it so marginalizes theater and it, it's embarrassing. I think. I, I'm embarrassed for people that work in theater in LA like that. I'm embarrassed. For them. 
stop. <laughs> no, I think it's terrible. I, you know, because I bust my ass all the day trying to do this theater here, and it's very, very difficult. I can't imagine if I did that, and then like some actor was saying, "Oh, I, I, you know, I'm going to be on, you know, uh, whatever, Crossing Jordan tonight." See ya. You know, it's like uh, crazy. You know, and they double cast. How do you that? How do you get a, a show together? And to, 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 so for people who are paying for it. You know, to give the people who are paying for an experience, because hello, there's an audience out there who are paying for tickets. You know, who are coming here for an experience. So to have like these double casts, where like, you know, oh tonight so and so is going to be on, that one's going to be on, that one's going to be out, this is going to be on for you know a little play like that. It's just it's not good for the play. It's not good for the other actors. It's not good for the actors who don't get the TV work. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's kind of bogus. Do you, do you still live there? Yeah. Yeah, well, good thing. No, I like LA. I do. I work there. I like it. You know, and I have a lot of friends who live there. But I, I think this, the theater scene there needs a makeover. I agree. You want to do it? Oh, yeah. I've already done my, my time. But, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, somebody's raising up. Sorry, I didn't ask. But go ahead. As a, as a director and a both of them, but they definitely are different jobs. But I enjoy it. I have a great support system of people. I have a wonderful, wonderful support system of people in my life who are uh, who have who came to me because they liked my work. And so it's a I have wonderful I'm like I'm very lucky like it was true true people from heaven came down and helped me a lot in many ways. So I, I do have a good support system. You know, it's funny, like, I, I love, I'm not a work, I'm, I wouldn't call myself a workaholic because I don't do it to escape my life, but I love my job, so I I don't mind working on it from the minute I wake up in the morning until I pass out. Truly, I just love my job. I just love every element of it. I love the, 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 the pain, difficult part of it, which is often comes along with it, and I love the, the fun, joyous part of it. I, I, I really love my job. I feel blessed to have a job where I can you be an artist and make a living, you know, have, a, have good friends and interesting encounters. <laughs> what do you, what do you despise the most as a director? What do I despise the most? What do you, what do you hate about directing? Oh, what do I hate about What directing? are the biggest challenges you have? Well, honestly, one of the hardest things, I was, I was thinking about this recently, too, this has nothing to do with directing, it's, it's letting go, you know, cutting the apron strings, you know, of the, after I actually work on something, having to kind of let, let go of the, in a sense, let the control go. Let let the actors take over the stage manager to kind of go away. That's always a difficult sort of, you know, I feel, I, I always say if I direct three or four things a year that I, that I have, it's like having three or four postpartum depressions, I imagine. <laughs> I always find that very, the emotional drop uh, of having to let go of something, especially when I have a great, you know, I love it, if I love it, I have a really, really hard time, which I love most of my letting go. And um, on the work end, uh, I don't know, I find a great deal of joy in the challenges, so I don't, I, there's nothing that I, I, love, I, love, I, love, I love every bit of it. One more question? Well, that guy in the back. That guy in the back. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I see it, but I can't see I have a long-term, long-time assistant who's been with me from the very, very beginning, who's my dear friend. So no, I don't. Unless she one day decides she doesn't want to do it anymore. 
but she's my uh, my assistant and has been with me for forever. And she's a really really close friend of mine. So I don't. I mean, we have a I have like like observer um, sometimes those sorts of uh, assistant types, but no, I, I just have somebody in my life that I really I, I get off on being with. And he's a really good friend. I, I get a lot of letters about him. nice to have somebody there who knows me so well and knows my work so well that she advises me when I'm on or off sometimes. Or she, or she, you know, uh, if I have a question about something about my own, she's there as a sounding board for me, basically. She doesn't take notes. I don't have an assistant, like, whisper notes. I take my own notes. You know, uh, I don't like people writing for me. You know, um, seems bizarre. I have her there to, to help me. Or if I you know, if, I, if there's somebody in the cast who needs a little extra TLC, she's very good at that, too. And she's very good at, um, you know, just kind of, you know, she's, she's there when I need her and not there when I don't. It's a, it's a, she, we have a very good relationship. She has another career, so sometimes she's not even there at rehearsal. So she's a This is so stuff. <laughs> is that funny? <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if you ever take a single note. I'm always amazed that you never took a note and you remembered them all. Yeah, I don't take a lot of notes. Although, like during previews, like I watch the show, then I go home and take notes. But I can't watch and write. I have a hard time. But I can remember. I have a good memory so far. But I, I definitely do that. Yeah. Where do you see the new group in ten years? Where do you see yourself in ten years? Oh. <laughs> well, the new group, I don't know. I mean, we're just getting ready to kind of like, get our own space. So that's uh, an interesting kind of next. Days. I don't really know. I mean, I, it surprises me every year, so I can't, I can't even say where I see it. I don't know. I don't know where I see myself. That's a hard one. Okay. <laughs> well, it's been great having you, and it's a great way to start off the symposium. Thank you, everybody. Again, this is Susan Stroman, and thank you for listening to Masters of the Stage, made possible through support from Stage Directors and Choreographer Society, the National Theatrical Union celebrating five decades of uniting, empowering, and protecting professional stage directors and choreographers. Visit us online at sdcweb.org. This online series is presented in collaboration with the American Theatre Wing, dedicated to illuminating how theater is made through the words of the people who make theater. Visit them online at americantheaterwing.org.